Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Anna, and I'm an indie vet. I'm also on my first vacation in five years. That's because IndieVets truly puts vets first. I've got control of my schedule, plenty of shifts that fit my life, and a team like no other. IndieVets, a whole new way to vet. Hello and welcome back in to another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. With me as always from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor, here to discuss the end of what we can officially say has been a tumultuous season for the South Carolina men's basketball team in 2019-2020. They end the season with an, we'll just call it uninspired, and then we'll spend the next 20 minutes talking about just how uninspired it was. 83-74 to loss up in Nashville to the Vanderbilt Commodores. The 11-20, and 3-15 in conference Vanderbilt Commodores who won their first back-to-back conference games since 1940. Feels like it. I think that was the stat that I heard. That could be wrong. Well, but considering they went a to a, a Final Four in the mid-90s, I doubt that's correct. I know. Well, that was such a surprising run. That was why they're Final They never did the a winning back-to-back conference games. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. No, but it was an unbelievable performance from South Carolina. Not because it was so surprising that Carolina lost to Vanderbilt, because they have lost to several worse teams than Vanderbilt this year. But what was surprising about it was the actual performance. It was a game that South Carolina absolutely, unequivocally had to have. And as much as the season has been up and down for South Carolina, they have mostly responded. They've gotten themselves ahead of schedule, and then they'll shoot themselves in the foot. And then every time they shoot shoot themselves in the foot, they manage to bounce back. So, having shot themselves in the foot a little bit, but not a you know horrible amount, you know, just like a little bit of your pinky toe maybe, against Alabama, this was an even more important game. And with their backs against the wall, we've actually seen South Carolina play some really good basketball at times this year. And the energy level, the focus, pretty much everything, there's one exception that I had that I identified watching this game. There was one exception. And but with that one with that one exception in mind, everything else that South Carolina did was bad and arguably the worst that they've done it all season. Yeah, this was probably by far their worst SEC loss. Um you look at the other teams they've lost to in the SEC, uh, Florida tournament team, Tennessee top 70 Ken Palm team, Auburn a tournament team, the number two seed in the SEC tournament, uh, Ole Miss, not great, but you did it on the road, and that was against Justin Minai, without Justin Minai for the first game. You're allowed a dud. Mississippi State, bubble team, LSU, tournament team, Alabama was on the bubble for a very long time. And then this one. It was bad. It's a bad loss. And for all the hype about the bubble and for all the hype about, you know, this is the team that can go on a run if when you get Justin Manaya back, and I certainly thought so, but they got up and took their foot off the gas and Vanderbilt seized every bit of opportunity they had. We weren't wrong. This was a legit bubble team. This was a team that could make a yeah. run. This is a team that has that potential. This is a very talented team. 
arguably the most talented team that Frank Martin has had at South Carolina, which makes this, I think, even harder for fans. Yeah. It's frustrating. I understand it. I mean, if I was a fan, I'd be frustrated too because this was supposed to be the year that they were able to go get an at-large seed and compete for SEC, you know, a top four, another top four seed. But some bad losses early and some things that you could change, you changed later on in the year, set yourself up for a, a really disappointing season. Not, not disappointing because it's not a disappointing season. A very frustrating season. It's just a season full of what could have been. Yeah, you you look back and you're like, well, you know, if we just beat Boston, if we just beat Stetson. They beat Boston and Stetson. They are 20 and 11 right now. Uh 10 and 8 in the SEC in the SEC. And you're going in needing probably one more win. Yeah, 21 still feels like the magic number even as bad as the Vanderbilt loss was. Now, yeah. we're sitting here doing the end of the season and it it is the end of the season. They still have the SEC tournament. They're not going to make the NCAA tournament more than likely. Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say it's not going to happen. Because at this not. point, well, I, I'll save this for after we talk about the, the Vanderbilt game, but this is basically the end for South Carolina, and it's surprising and disappointing to see it happen like this. One of 13 from three. Missed their last 12. Missed their last, tw- yeah. Oh my gosh, hit, I didn't even think about that. Kustard hit the first one in the corner, and then they missed their next 12. You get out-rebounded? No, you don't. But I think it was a two point two. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was a two point margin in favor of South Carolina. Okay, so that part they didn't get killed, but they had just ten assists on twenty seven made baskets. They had eighteen turnovers. And they committed thirty fouls and put Vanderbilt at the line forty times, including sixteen times for Scottie Pippen Jr. and he made fifteen of them. All of those things. They're not the worst, I don't think. Like, Carolina's probably had a worse three-point shooting game. I don't remember off the top of my head. They may have had, like, a 1-14, of 1-15, something like that. I know they've had games with more than 18 turnovers. I know they've had games with fewer than 10 assists. But you hit three threes, three of 13, still a bad three-point shooting night. I know Carolina lost by nine, but when when and where you hit those threes... Changes the complexion. That of the makes game. a difference. It's, yeah. If instead of eighteen turnovers, it's eight turnovers or even twelve, which is still above average for South Carolina, you probably don't lose this game. If you get any more than two of eight shooting and eight points from AJ Lawson, or eight points on four of eleven shooting from Mike Kotsar, or better than six of fifteen shooting from Jermaine Cousinard, there aren't a lot of things you can point to and say South Carolina did them well. Like we no. talked about on Thursday, Carolina still should have won this game. They could have played their C game and won, but they played they, like their D minus or F game. Yeah, this was bad. You got, I mean, I was talking to, my roommate made the trip up to Nashville with me because he wanted to see him play, and we were talking at halftime, and he goes, can you point to anyone on this team that's playing well right now? Anyone. And I'm like, no, because Jermaine went off and scored seven of the first nine and then disappeared and got in foul trouble, and that's been a big problem of his. And Mike obviously was inefficient. Uh, AJ was oof, inefficient. Um, yeah, like this was just everybody picked to that day to have a bad game. Mm-hmm. No one had a good game except and, for Justin. Yeah, I liked he, Justin. He was so good. That was the one exception that I referenced earlier. He played 17 minutes, made all three of his shots, made both of his free throws, had four rebounds, including one on the offensive glass, one steal, one block, finished with eight points. Looked like he was trying to take the game over there for a little bit because he had a nice sequence where he does what he did what Justin Maniah does, played a little defense, got a little steal, got a transition bucket, 
as South Carolina desperately needed a bucket. I think they were down by 10 at that point, maybe 8 in the second half. Kind of yeah. got Carolina back into it. He played well. Also, side note, Frank Martin said last week that he had this big, like, awkward-looking splint on his thumb or whatever. He must have been referencing something different than whatever he was wearing in the game on Saturday. It was like the like, thing that, like, it'll clamp on here, but it totally immobilizes the thumb. Yeah, but I looked, I mean, it like... He just said wacky. Wacky, okay, wacky. yeah. Well, I mean, I barely, like, if I hadn't watched any Carolina basketball this year and just tuned in for the Vanderbilt game, I wouldn't have known anything, because it was just, like, kind of attached to his shooting sleeve. It yeah, looked he just, very, like, natural and comfortable. Yeah, I thought so, too. I was a little shocked when he came out for warm-ups, and I saw that. I was expecting something, uh, like, a lot more. But, yeah, they need know. him. Yeah, but anyway, good minutes from Justin. Good minutes from Trey Hannibal. Good minutes from Keyshawn Bryant. Yeah. He had a very yeah, quietly he, good game. Yeah, 13-7 and seven for him on 4-7 of seven shooting. He finished the season well. Yes. Three oh. straight double-doubles, and then he had, like, what, a 15-7 and seven and now a 13-7? and seven? Yeah. What you need from him. Right. So, I, I guess maybe we shouldn't throw the whole baby out, or... We shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I also don't want to deal with whole babies versus parts of babies, so we're no, just going to say throw the baby Entire out. Entire baby, 100% of the baby. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to throw all of it out with the bathwater, just some of it. Okay, I guess we're dismembering babies on this podcast now. I may cut this later. I don't know. But Keyshawn, fine. Good. Justin, good. Trey, good. Everybody else. Yeah, that's pretty much the summation of this game. They couldn't stop fouling. They couldn't get enough 50-50 balls. Uh, Vanderbilt had 12 offensive rebounds. Um and you sent them. You, they made more free throws than South Carolina attempted. By a lot. By, By six. Yep. And they made 31. Carolina attempted 25. Yep. How much of this, we talked about this last week. This was this is the, the topic around Columbia last week. Carolina fouling too much versus the game being called ridiculously. I am someone... Doesn't feel like there are a lot of people that do this anymore, but I actually believe both things can be true. It yeah. doesn't just have to be one or the other. What was it more on Saturday? You were there. You got to see it up close and personal on TV. Everything looked ridiculous. It looked like there was a stretch where whenever I mean anybody from either team, and this is when I take issue with the officiating. Whenever you drive the basketball, it is a foul in college basketball. Yeah, I hate that for stretches of the game. I don't understand that. I don't know what the point of playing the game is. If that's how it's going to be officiated, but seeing it in person, up close and personal. It's unwatchable. Was it, was it more the officials or was it more Carolina on Saturday? It was a little bit of, I'm on the same train as you. It was a little bit of both. I mean, there were a few times that Jermaine drove and got contact and didn't get fouled that would have been foul on the other end, it felt like. And, but South Carolina hand check. They made a lot of bad defensive plays. <clears throat> and when you do that, you're not going to win basketball games. When you make stupid fouls, you know, 25 feet from the basket, or you... They pump fake and you jump and land on them. You know what that is? It's foul. Hmm. So it happens. Don't do it, and you probably in this game. But, Forty yeah. free throws. Yeah. Like that number should stand out more, but it's fewer than they allowed against Alabama just a week ago, or now a week and a half ago, a it's, week prior. I think that they've had three SEC teams now attempt at least forty free throws. That's got to be some kind of record. Now, we talked about it. Carolina's free throw rate in terms of free throws allowed is worst in all of college basketball. This certainly does not help their case. They're going to finish worst in all of college basketball for the season. 21 points roughly above average. Wow. Percentage points above average. So Frank Martin mentioned last week that normally his teams are in the top 20 in free throw rate. I don't know if he was talking about offensive or defensive. I don't know if you've run the numbers like long term, but is this something that that Carolina fans should expect to 
regress to the mean and that maybe Carolina, even if they're still fouling too much because they're aggressive, will be around like 150 and will maybe have a couple extra wins next season as a result of free throw shooting? All right. So I think Frank was talking about his offensive free throw rate because that's actually been pretty decent. Um, 83rd last year, 9th the year before, 52nd the year before that, 32nd, 161, 49th, 201. But that was his first team in South Carolina. Then his team's at K-State, 25th, 51st, 4th, 36th. Okay, so mostly like top six. Top 10-ish percent of college basketball for the most part. Now for his defensive rate. Uh Uh-oh. Defensive free throw rate. Dating all the way back to Kansas State. Uh, This year, 353rd. Nice. 318th, 333rd, 331st, 200, 310th, 346th, 328th at South Carolina. It's always been bad. Hmm. We just haven't noticed it as much because they've been good about getting to the line and hitting free throws, which they haven't been this year. Although they have been. They've actually been shooting free throws okay yeah. in the last couple games. Yeah, they actually have a pretty decent free throw rate. Yeah, I mean, you know, 25 free throws is fine. That's yeah. a good number. It's not outrageous. It's solid. Yeah, and their free throw rate, it's it's just the discrepancy. I mean, they're 36.8 this year, 53.1 on the defensive side. Mm. But everything else, I mean, there's a three-point margin here. There's a one-point margin there. um, Four-point margin. Five-point margin. I mean, all of these are really close. Mm -hmm. And then this one is just so awful in terms of discrepancy. I hate that it's the story of the season. And I, I don't think it is the story of the season, but it's like, I don't know, I feel like it's 1B. I feel like this season is like, A.J. Lawson was very disappointing. Carolina did not have the superstar slash centerpiece to its team that it thought it had and that it needed. Two, they fouled a and, little bit more than they normally do. An ass ton. Yeah, but they already fouled a lot. And even more than, they, even more than that a lot. And those are like, the two stories of the season, yeah. kind of. He's an Aston. It is a metric Aston, not even Absolutely an imperial Aston. It was bad. It was bad, and you said fifty-fifty in terms of the culpability for all those fouls. Yeah, or maybe sixty-forty Carolina. Probably sixty-forty. Sixty-forty Carolina. Frank Martin was very displeased with his team's defense after the game, rightfully so. When you allow 40 free throw attempts, when you give up 83 points, not a lot to say. Positively, Vanderbilt shot you know 42.5% from the field, which is fine. Just 24% from three. As you mentioned, they were able to get 12 offensive rebounds, which is on South Carolina's defense, because part of defense is rebounding. I'm one of those people. Are you one of those people? Say that again? That part of defense is rebounding? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Because cool. yeah. I know some people are like, nah, like the... Defensive possession ends when the shot goes up. I'm like, no, you got to get the rebound. Yeah. So you give up 12, 12 offensive rebounds. That's not very good. <sighs> very, very disappointing. All right, let's just let's go through it because I feel like we're just saying the same things over and over again. But it was just like it was so. I mean, it was unbelievable. I'm not surprised, but it was unbelievable. Yeah, you're. It's, it was like watching because I was courtside for all of it. No big deal. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, it was like watching a car wreck happen. Because they go out to this, I think, they go on a 9-0 run. They lose the lead by one on a free throw. And then they immediately go on a 9-0 run. Stackhouse test, call timeout. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, South Carolina's in control. They're going to put the foot to the pedal in the half up 15. And 
it's that that's all she wrote. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden Vanderbilt hits a three, and they go on like a six zero run, and then a and like an eight point lead turns into a two point lead a half, and then Vanderbilt starts on like a seventeen to nine run or an eight zero run to start the second half. When they came out and hit the first three, yep, of the second half you were like done, yep, done. It's just it felt. Done. Which is weird because Carolina did basically the exact same thing at the end of the first half against Mississippi State, and then they came out and they were like, actually, we're going to take this game over. We're going to win the second half by 11 and win the game by 12. It was a mirror image of pretty much the Alabama game. Alabama but with closed. Carolina on the wrong side of it. Yeah, Carolina goes out. Like, I remember watching the Alabama game. Oh, the Alabama game. Sorry, I thought yeah. you meant State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Alabama game, and when Alabama, they came out down like two or three at the end of the first half, and just absolutely drilled a three to start, and it was that was all she wrote. The energy level and the focus I mentioned, it just seemed like it was a weird vibe. And when Eric and I talked about the game on Thursday, we didn't have our show Friday because we had the South Carolina women's basketball game on our station, which was great because they won that one yeah. convincingly. As they, they do. Yeah. They, oh gosh. Even Mississippi State on Sunday in five yeah. of six SEC championships. Ridiculous. But as we were talking about the game on Thursday, Eric said, you know, be wary. There might be a strange vibe in Nashville because of what's happened in that community with the tornadoes. And it's like, well, what impact does like, you know, the tornadoes have and, and things like that. But we've seen those kinds of things impact sporting events where it's kind of a community coming together. Uh, Vanderbilt had nothing to play for. No. They were, they were 10 beautiful. and 20, 2 and 15 in conference. They won. It changes nothing. They're still their season's still terrible. Eleven and twenty is still awful. Three and fifteen in conference is still awful. Beating Carolina does nothing. The crowd, I can't imagine, cared that much, or was that into Vanderbilt basketball? But was there a weird vibe when you were there? Like, was there a bigger crowd? Were people, you know, more passionate, or was it, or was it maybe something within the team? I don't know. Was, was there something? It seemed like there was something off with Carolina. Was there something kind of on the flip side that this seemed like it was propelling Vanderbilt, or was Vanderbilt it just about hard. how bad? I mean, Carolina I think was? I think it's a little bit of both. I think Vanderbilt played pretty hard. They got to every loose ball. South Carolina, I can't remember a loose ball they came up with. So, yeah, I think they had something to play for, and I think that, I mean, the crowd was not great, but it got loud when it needed to get loud, and that place is so weird that the acoustics hold pretty well. So, um, yeah, South Carolina just didn't have an answer. Vanderbilt tried to get physical; they did, and. Yeah, it was bad. This four, is the worst I've seen them play in a very long time. Four of 11, two of eight, and six of 15 are your shooting numbers from your three best players, Mike Kozar, A.J. Lawson, and Jermaine Cousinard, respectively. You mentioned Keyshawn Bryant having a good game, but he only took seven shots. From the bench, he got four of six from Hannibal, his best game in a while. He finishes with 11 points, two rebounds, two assists, three steals. Did turn it over a couple times. But that's what minutes, you four get, fouls, but. but you get the good and the bad with him. Yeah, you exactly. Get the good and the bad At this point. Him. Yeah. He's got to eliminate some of really that you know, going into next year. We mentioned the good minutes from Anaya. McCurry came in, gave you five and three in eight minutes. Bolden, nothing. Nothing. Zero points, 0-4 shooting in 18 minutes. TJ Moss, amazing. Comes in and immediately turns the ball over, and it was a terrible turnover. Do you want to know what his plus or minus was for one less than a minute of work? Minus three? Minus, minus four. four? Minus four. In less than a minute? Well, it was like this weird run, and I... And I've said it before, I don't like piling on kids because that's just, that's mean. Um, but he came in, they were getting absolutely nothing from their guards. Absolutely nothing. He comes in, 
turns the ball, it gets his pocket picked by Saban Lee immediately. Leads to a run out. Comes back down, they take up a shot, they take a bad shot, misses. TJ Moss goes up for the offensive rebound, gets it pulled over from over his head, mm-hmm. immediately leads to a Vanderbilt run out. 6-0 run, Frank calls a timeout, TJ Moss doesn't play again. Oh, man. He tries so hard to be a yeah. part of Club Trillion, but he always has like a turnover. Yeah. He wanted to be Wilden's of this game, who had one minute and recorded no other stats. Did you did you hear what Frank said about him? I forget what I asked. I think I asked a question about Manaya. Yeah. And he goes, Manaya gives us the toughness at the rim only a couple guys bring this year. He goes, Jalen brings it, and I played him for a little bit against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. And Wildon Zavet gives us toughness at the rim. But I saw him jogging back and forth during possessions, and I figured he was tired, so I just didn't play him. Wow. That sounds right. That's very on brand for Frank Martin. Wilden's is going to be good. He's going to be good. all three of all the, three of those guys are going to be central to South Carolina next year. I I just I have so little to say about this Vanderbilt game, and I just want to jump ahead to into this season, looking ahead to next season. You know, firing Frank Martin, all these things that we're going to do before we talk a little bit about the SEC tournament. But I do feel like we owe it to our listeners, all six of them. Hey, mom. Yeah. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I know you listen. And dad, and two other random people. Oh. My coach's girlfriend, Veronica. Does she listen? Yeah. That's Hello. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm I my parents. Um, that's it. But anyway, we owe it to all of them to talk about what actually happened in this game. And like I said, it, I mean, it was awful. Oh, everything, man. basically, everything that Carolina could have done wrong, they did wrong. They didn't get any good performances. They just needed one good performance from one of their key players. They didn't get that. And they couldn't foul. They couldn't stop fouling. This was. If you want to boil it down to anything, it's the fact that South Carolina allowed Vanderbilt to average 107.9 points per 100. Hmm. Do you want to know what Vanderbilt's after that game? So now it's updated. Oh, no. After their offensive efficiency in SEC play, it went up because they scored more than their average, obviously. Now it is 95.5. Oh, no. They are by far the worst defense or offensive efficiency team in the SEC. Well, helps when you take and make a lot of free throws. Let me ask it to you like this, because I, I feel like I feel like the first 20 minutes of this have been as bad as the second half for Carolina because there's just nothing to say. Were you surprised? No, I grew up around here. I followed Carolina athletics yeah. for a very long time. But that's why? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of yeah. felt the same way. Like, we were riding up there, my my buddy, who's from Syracuse, looks at me, and he went to Carolina. Looks at me, and goes, I don't have a good feeling. Oh, no. He goes, I don't have a good feeling. I was like, I don't either. And lo and behold, it held true. And they needed it. They needed it as bad as you can need a game. And it's the worst team in the SEC. Two wins, two SEC wins the last two years before South Carolina. If Carolina goes on a remarkable run, an improbable run, a run that I am not predicting or expecting or thinking that they will go on and even make it to Sunday, much less be Kentucky in the championship game, which is what would have to happen. Even if Carolina makes it to Sunday, would you be more or less surprised or equally surprised that they lost to Vanderbilt as that run? I'd be more surprised about the run. 
See, I feel like I would be equally surprised or lack, or, or I would have a lack of surprise. If they beat LSU, I could see them getting there. Yeah. You got to beat LSU, but yeah, they match up well with Auburn. Nothing surprises me with this team, and that's the frustrating part, and at times has been the refreshing part for Carolina. Is there anything else you want to say about the Vanderbilt game? Because I'm, I'm no, I'm pretty done with it. Yeah, it was, it was just a really, really terrible game. There's not, there's frankly not a whole lot to say about it. Scotty Pippen Jr. owned Carolina. Yeah, Saban Lee managed to have a good game without shooting the ball particularly well. He still finished with 19, four and four on seven to sixteen shooting, which I guess is fine, but didn't make any of his threes. Only made five of his nine free throws. I mean, everybody for Vanderbilt played a very good game. Almost everybody for Carolina, for Carolina played a very underwhelming, disappointing kind of game. What does this mean now? It means you got to win the damn thing, whole damn thing. It's well, like but the- even even just for this season, let's say Carolina just let's say Carolina beats either Arkansas or Vanderbilt, and then they lose on Friday to whomever, and they finish nineteen and fourteen. You said earlier that this has not been a disappointing season. Yeah, I don't think it's been a disappointing season. Okay, Frustrating defend sure. that. Because everyone listening right now is disappointed by this season, by the yeah, way that it's turned out. Yeah, and I get it. I, I understand the frustration that comes with it, but I also think that you have to look at it in the terms of stability, and you lose a lot, obviously, from that Final Four team, what, now three years ago. It's taken you some time to rebuild that and restockpile the shelves and you're in the middle of your sixth non-losing season. And I know people are like, well, non-losing season, how phenomenal. <laughs> South Carolina, do you know the last time they had six non-losing seasons in a, in a row? I do, but only because I saw your brilliant tweet and research. So tell me. Like the McGuire days. A long time ago. This, I mean, His last year at Carolina was 1980, I think. Yeah, it doesn't happen that often. And so... I think it was like 66 to 81. Mm. Yeah, it was that, that stretch. They had a really long stretch of, of non-losing seasons. Yeah, 66 to 1981. That do, it doesn't happen very often. And this will be if they make the NIT. Which is like more up in the air now than it was. Yeah. Like that was a foregone conclusion two uh, weeks ago. Yeah, I still think they make it. Yeah. But let's say they make the NIT. The, that's like the third postseason in five years. Let's just talk. And I just NIT and NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, that's their third postseason in five years. The last time they did that was, as I continue to scroll, <laughs> the Odom years when they went to a tournament in 04, an NIT in 05, NIT in 06, and then Darren Horn took him to the NIT in 09. Ten years. They've won, they're tied for the third most SEC wins in um, the last five years. So since they went That's to. That's a cool number. So when, since they've won the 25 and went to the NIT that year, mm-hmm. so 16, 17, 18, 19, and now 20, they're tied for third most SEC wins. You know the two teams ahead of them? Kentucky and, and Florida. Florida. And they're tied, tied with, with Tennessee. Tennessee. Yep. And it's what, 51? 51 and 39? 51. Yeah, they won 51 games. I think Florida's won. 59 in Kentucky, 69. Nice. Nice. That's a lot. So I understand the frustrations. Trust me. I understand it completely. So that, it's good in the grand scheme of South Carolina basketball. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can I can accept that. Yeah. And I understand the frustration. Yeah, that but this is was, it good for this team? No. 
Okay. No, but I think that it's not good for this team. But then you have to pull back big picture Mm -hmm. and say, where is this program? Let's just say, where's this program right now compared to five years ago? Is Is it in a better spot than it was five years ago? With just the overall talent and just the stability that comes with it. I think definitely in terms of talent. Yes. I think, I mean, what, five, yeah, five years ago, five was, years ago was the year before the NIT in the 25 win season? Yeah. You'd be finishing, yeah, you'd be in the middle of that NIT year. Uh, I mean, I guess so, yes. Yeah. But or even, it years. doesn't matter if your team's more talented if you're not getting results. Like if, if we say that definitively Carolina is more talented than they were five years ago, and in both cases they're in the NIT, then I feel like there's a disconnect there and there might be a problem. Right, and I understand the frustration there. Um, But I also think that you look at the program as a whole and you're legitimately and consistently a top six team in the SEC. Mm -hmm. And do you is there need for more results there? Absolutely. I'm not going to discredit that one bit. But I also think for those that want to fire Frank Martin, to start over is a little premature at this point. I think so. Because the next coach, it's not starting over, but it's it's hard to inherit a team as talented as the one he's, whoever, if they fired, I'm not saying they will, but we're playing you know hypotheticals here. If they fire that coach, it's hard to take a team you inherit pretty far. Look at Nate Oates. Inherited a pretty talented team and probably not going to make the tournament. Um. Yeah, like it, it's hard to do. Stackhouse inherits a team, hard to do. Did not going to make the tournament. Buzz Williams, good coach, did not inherit a good team. Not going to make the tournament. Like it's hard to do. Um, next year, I think is put up or shut up. And I think so too. I, I don't think I don't think it makes any sense to fire Frank Martin this year. Well, I would say no sense, but I do not think it's the right move to fire Frank Martin this year. But if we go back to what should this team have done? Now, there are lots of ways to measure expectations. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately how you decide how good a season is. It's based on expectations. And expectations for this team were so wildly varied, it's really hard to nail down what to what standard we should hold this team. Right. Nationally, and I guess regionally, because at Media Day, South Carolina was picked to finish, what, 11th in the conference? 12th, yeah. 12th in the conference and ahead of Vanderbilt and... I don't know what other team. Point is, Carolina was not picked to finish 12th. I mean, not picked to finish 6th. They were picked to finish 12th. They finished 6th. That is overachieving any way you look at it. Yeah. But what is the value of that expectation, of that preseason prediction? Because around here, and whether it was because people felt like it was time or because people believed in the talent of this team, I think it's a little bit of both, although the latter is certainly a more legitimate reason to have an opinion than the former. People wanted South Carolina to make the NCAA tournament. People thought Carolina could make the NCAA tournament. Now again, how much of that is people earnestly believing that this team was an NCAA tournament team and how much of it was, well, it's been a couple years. It's probably about time. Frank Martin needs to make the tournament again because this is year eight and Carolina should have made the tournament twice in eight years, which I also don't think is unrealistic, even if it's not necessarily the right reason to think that a certain team should make the tournament. But relative to those expectations, and given that South Carolina was in a good position to do so a month ago, I think this season is a disappointment. I can understand that 
Randall Logic. I can also understand being frustrated by it, and I can also understand the fact that, but I will caution to this, is that it's South Carolina. That historically, and I know everyone's like, well, you know, if we don't want to be, you know, if we're always bad, then we'll never be good. I get that too. If no coach has been able, outside of Frank McGuire, been able to have success at South Carolina to a degree, it's hard to win at South Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to win basketball games at South Carolina. And the fact that Frank Martin's been able to do it consistently speaks a lot to his ability to coach. I understand wanting more results. I'm not saying you don't expect the tournament. I'm just saying to run off or want to run off arguably the best coach you've had, definitely the second best coach you've ever had, seems a little premature for me. It's this weird sort of negative exceptionalism that surrounds all South Carolina sports. Yeah. It's kind of what you're talking about, and I don't understand where it comes from. I don't know if all fan bases have this, and we're just aware of it because we cover this team and we interact with a lot of the fans, and so we're just made more acutely aware of it. I have a feeling that pretty much anywhere you go, fan bases, except for like Alabama football, you know, Kentucky basketball, Kansas basketball, LSU baseball, places like that. I feel like most fans are probably generally fatalistic about their teams. Yeah. So again, maybe we're just more aware of it because we're in the weeds, but I've never understood that. And I'm really torn between accepting that as sort of a reality because the reality is there's only one team that can be the best every year. And there's only a handful of teams that can be almost the best every year. And the idea that, Carolina is going to do that in every sport every year isn't realistic. Now, I don't think fans are expecting that, and I'm not someone that believes that that sort of negative mentality of the fan base has anything to do with the team because it doesn't. But I don't think that should necessarily color expectations because the fact of the matter is this team is and was good enough, talented enough. They had the right pieces. They had the right makeup to be a tournament team. And I feel like that's again. I, that's certainly on the high end of the expectations. That's like the the local. Oh yeah, this team should be good. This team should make the tournament. Part of the expectations. But I think what we saw this year says that that is not wrong. And then you just have to ask the uh, ask the question: Why? What held this team back? Right. And was it Frank Martin? Probably in part. Was it because AJ Lawson had a bad sophomore year that he actually got worse from his freshman year to his sophomore year? I think that's probably part of it. I yeah. don't know what I don't know what other contributing factors there are, but I I think the They're question young. you have to ask now is like, but, but there's a lot of young teams. Yeah, but and and it's different. There's a lot of young teams, but there's only 30 teams younger than South Carolina in college basketball. In terms of experience, South Carolina because Ken Palm tracks the stuff. Hmm. South Carolina's 325th out of 353 teams. I get that's not an excuse you want to hear. And you can call it an excuse all you want, but that in part has something to do with it when you're playing a lot of young guys, especially in the backcourt. The fact that you have a lot of these pieces returning, depending on who leaves, who stays, whatever, we'll find that out over the next few weeks. Then there's reason for optimism. There is. You have to replace Mike Coatsar, obviously, but there's a reason to feel good about where this program is right now. Mm-hmm. He's stacked two really good recruiting classes on top of each other in the 18 and 19 classes. Um, still TBD on this 2020 because they haven't gotten to campus yet. Um, there's reason for optimism. We return a lot of these pieces. and Now, if they don't make it next year, sure, I'll be glad to have the conversation about mm-hmm. 
you know, is this the right fit? Is, you know. Yeah, that'll be my counterpoint because there was optimism going into this season, and rightfully yeah. so. You were expecting yeah, yeah, yeah. Keyshawn Bryant to get better. You were expecting AJ Lawson to get better. Mike Kotsar got even better, better than anybody could have expected. That was a really pleasant development and one of the best stories of the season. The way that Jermaine Cousinard came on in the last 17 games of the season. We'll probably be all freshmen this year. Yeah, was tremendous. That you got good productive minutes in different points in the season, although not consistently necessarily, from Wilden Zavek and Jalen McCreary was tremendous. The emergence of Trey Hannibal as the first guard off the bench for South Carolina was a positive development. There were a lot of there were a lot of good things there. And yet it did not meet the generally positive expectations that sort of were based on I had someone call my local show yesterday and say the exact same thing that you said, the exact same thing that I've said and that I feel. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate with myself. It's like, well, you look at all the pieces Carolina's bringing back and you assume that these guys are going to get better. That means the season's going to get better. That means Carolina's going to make the tournament. I did the same thing this year, and it didn't happen because the guys that needed to get better either didn't get better or didn't get enough better or as better as we would have thought. Yeah. So what's to say that's not going to happen next year? Right, and consistency was an issue, and that's because they're 325th in Ken Palm and experience. So you'd like to think that they'll be more consistent next year. Um, That's why I'm saying that 20. 20, 2021 that year will be the put up or shut up because now you're running out of excuses are not the right word but reasons why this team is not great or not making tournaments because all right they're young this year i get it they're young you're not going to get consistent performance day in and day out from guys that are 18 i mm-hmm. wasn't consistent day in and day out when i was 18 either <laughs> um i'm 24 and i'm still not consistent day to day um you're going to be older. You're going to return almost every piece from this year. And you're bringing in some solid pieces along with that in Seventh Woods and Patrick Uriel and Javon Benson to realistically think that you're a deep, talented team. Now, it's about proving that. And that's why I think that next year, you're probably going to be picked around the same. They were picked 10th in the SEC last year. Okay. So if they finished four spots better than they Ahead of Arkansas. Too which they beat and finished ahead of. A&M, which they beat and finished ahead of. And Missouri, which they beat and finished ahead of. They finished ahead of one, two, three, four teams that they were predicted to finish behind. Seven so they were predicted to be better than, they were better than, plus three teams. Yeah. That's good. You're exceeding expectations at South Carolina. Based off those numbers, you be, yeah, exceeding national expectations, yeah. and, and then again, it just becomes you know how do you reconcile the national re- expectations with the local expectations? Yeah, and how do you reconcile being one of the best teams wins wise over the last five years and having one tournament to show for it? I get it. I understand the frustrations that comes that come along with that. Part of it's bad luck, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because to win twenty five games and not go to the SEC or excuse me to not go to the NCAA tournament. Especially when that at large bid goes to a Vanderbilt team that South Carolina had just beaten like two weeks prior, and the Syracuse team with like an RPI in like the seventy five. Yeah, something so like that. that that's a little bit unlucky. The narrative changes if that if they go to two tournaments, right? Right. Oh, we're not for having sure. we're not having this conversation. No, because then Frank Martin's been to two tournaments in eight years, and that feels like what people want is yeah. like a tournament every three to four years. Yeah, and postseason play like every two to three years if you include NITs. Not that anybody cares about NITs, but it's it, you can at least say, well, Frank Martin's made the postseason three of the last five years. Yeah. yeah. And everyone, rel- like, 
collectively agrees they got screwed there. Got absolutely screwed. The narrative changes mm-hmm. when you get there. But then, so- they, but then they screw themselves yeah. with Wyoming. and Stetson this year. Yeah, Stetson this year. Was Boston this, did this they lose year. to Stony Brook last year? Yeah, Boston yeah. this year. Um, yeah, like this. Vanderbilt. Vander, yeah, Vanderbilt that, we, this year. Can we agree? Okay, that's the other thing I wanted to say about the Vanderbilt game. The only other thing I wanted to say about the Vanderbilt game. Can we agree that's the worst loss of the season? I think that's a worse loss than Stetson, given the situation. Given the situation, yeah. Given the situation, yes. That's amazing. All anyone has talked about since whenever that game was, December whatever, 4th, 5th, 30, 31st, whenever. Oh, yeah, because that was the last game of the non-con. Yeah. yeah, December 30th. All anyone has talked about for 2020 with South Carolina basketball has been Stetson game, Stetson game, Stetson game, Stetson game. And what did South Carolina do in the regular season finale? But they actually one-upped it. They had a worse loss than the one loss that everyone was talking about for the entire year. It was three bad. months of the year. It was bad. So that's on them. You have to eliminate those. <clears throat> they is are. that on the players? Is that on the young players? Yes. Yeah. How much blame does Frank Martin deserve for those? I mean, he's the head coach. Buck stops with him. He deserves some credit for it. And so he deserves credit when they win, blame when they lose. Um, but they also beat Kentucky. They also beat Arkansas on the road. You balance the good with the bad. And record-wise, there's been a lot more good than there's been bad. Four more good, three, five more good currently than five more bad. So I understand the frustrations, but you also got to understand that stability-wise, you have a puncher's chance for the tournament every year now with Frank Martin. The conversation was being had until March 8th. Until yeah. March 8th at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And it's still, could Carolina get to Sunday and lose and still get in, do you think? 21 and 14? With wins probably over Arkansas, LSU, and Auburn. Frank seems to think so. He kind of talked about that after the Vanderbilt game. I'm probably less inclined to think so. Yeah, I kind of feel like they have to win it. But that's three quad, that'd be three quad one wins. Back to back to back, mm-hmm. and beating two tournament teams, mm-hmm. and I guess a lot of it would probably, well, maybe not a lot of it, but some of it would come down to what happens in that Kentucky game if Carolina loses by two, yeah, or four. Maybe you have a, a more convincing argument than if they lose by seventeen. And if but. all these bubble teams just absolutely shat the bed in conference tournaments. Well, that's the other complicated part of this. Obviously, the conference tournaments are underway right now. Six of them have wrapped up as we record on Tuesday morning, Quick. and two of them already have unfavorable results for South Carolina with Utah State winning the Mountain West. This means San Diego State is going to obviously go ahead and grab uh, one of those at-large bids with Utah State getting the automatic qualifier. And Bradley winning the Missouri Valley. I don't know if that actually directly impacts South Carolina because It'll Northern Illinois... Huh? It'll impact the NIT. Yeah, Northern Illinois right now is considered a bubble team, and so ahead of South Carolina, and if y'all will recall, has the head-to-head over South Carolina. I don't know if the tournament will look at that exactly in terms of yeah. if South Carolina were in a head-to-head sort of-ish for an at-large with Northern uh, Northern Iowa. Yeah, Northern Iowa. I said Northern Illinois. I meant Northern Iowa. You and I. That's not good for South Carolina. Now, the rest of them have been... I guess chalk with Belmont, Winthrop, Liberty, and East Tennessee State winning the Southern Conference last night. But if a couple more of those happen, huh? They yeah, go Eagles. Yeah, my brother goes to Winthrop. Go Eagles. Oh, does he? Yeah. Cool. He forgot about the game. 
I texted him on Sunday. Forgot about the championship. Yeah. yeah. I te- well, I texted him Saturday, and I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, he goes, oh, well, I got planes that night. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. And I was like, lucky for you, the game's at 1. Mm. So I texted him at, like, you know, 145 when Winthrop was making their run. I was like, oh, how awesome is this? And he's like, oh, I completely forgot. The game's going on. Like, <laughs> That sounds about right. How? That, that's, that's how I was about Furman Sports. Yeah. I was like, I know he's not that big into sports, but, like, and then I texted him, I was like, they stormed the court. And he go, and all I got back was like one four-letter word. And I was like, they stormed the court and you weren't there. Aww. And I just got one four-letter word back. A four-letter word of regret. Yes. So that was actually, that did not hurt South Carolina. No, no, That no, went through one the Big South. If a bunch more of these start to go kind of sideways, then I would say 20. I, I Again, I still don't think 21 would be the number. If the rest of these go chalk, 21 might be the number still. You got to have some bubble teams lay i think there's a piece that's going to run wednesday and i use the term dinosaur sized eggs like as like every bubble team loses their first game yeah it's, it's going to take a lot yeah so let's just go ahead and say that's not going to happen there's like a zero, probably make the nit yeah it's like the scene in dumb and dumber where they're like one in like 800 million like yeah what's the chance of us getting together so you're telling one, me there's a chance yeah there's, there's yeah. a chance sure but it's as minuscule as minuscule gets. So with that, we'll take a look at the SEC tournament as a whole in just a second. But if we say that closes the book on the 1920 season, even if Carolina wins the NIT, how much do you think Carolina fans will care? Less than if they had even just made the tournament. We ran a poll question on the halftime show last week, and I said, would you rather South Carolina make 20 straight NCAA tournaments and win zero games, losing the first round of the NCAA tournament every year for 20 years, or win 20 straight NIT tournaments, win the whole thing every single year for 20 years, and like 88% of people said NCAA tournament. Yes. Yeah. Which is hilarious. I get it. And I think that's right. I think that is the correct They've, answer. They won back-to-back in the NITs, and how often do we talk about it? Zero. Yeah. I mean, only to be like, Frank hasn't even done that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only time people bring it up. It is hanging up in the um, media room. Mm-hmm. There's a big mural, and there's like a the final four is up there. The ACC title, I'm trying to remember now, the 25 win seasons up there, and the back to back NITs. They took down Devin Downey's performance against Kentucky. Mm. I remember being excited in like middle school when that was happening. But that's because I don't think I understood the difference between the NIT and the NCAA tournament. I was just like, oh, there's postseason. They're winning, yeah. Yeah, they're winning. That's cool. And they won the last game of the season, which always leaves a good taste in your mouth. Yeah. So basically whatever does whatever Carolina does in the postseason at this point doesn't really matter. So next season, we'll obviously have an entire offseason to talk about this, but just as a quick look ahead. We'll taste. You lose Mike Kotsar. Yeah. Let's assume, and I don't know if this is a safe assumption or not, and we will actually save this part of the discussion for the offseason, but let's assume you bring everybody else back. Who is the heart and soul of the 2020-2021 South Carolina men's basketball team? It's a good lead-in. Jermaine Kusner. Not Keyshawn Bryant, not A.J. Lawson, not T.J. Moss. No. <laughs> Jermaine has what we like to call cojones. Um, he does. So I Even t- when he shoots 6 of 15 and yeah. 1 of 7 of oh, 3 and he, shoots zero free throws. And he has no conscious. I mean, I... Getting to sit on the floor, it's no big deal. I did uh, against Vanderbilt. You get to hear a lot more. You get to see a lot more. Jermaine Kusnard is as vocal a leader 
as it comes. I mean, he is lighting into players. Like, lighting into them. Really? Jogging back on defense, he's lighting into players. Hmm. Um, He's the heart and soul of this team. He's the heart and soul of this team right now, and that's not changing. Is that good? Yeah. Because should, should Carolina fans not want it to be AJ or Keyshawn or one of these older guys no, that has a little I more I don't think they potential? Care. I don't think they care. Okay. I mean, do you want to know, and I, I texted you about this before, I have these handy-dandy stats. I'm holding up a notebook. Wow, you wrote these down. You have yeah. everything on your computer. These were important enough that you wrote them yes. down with pen I and paper. I did this watching South Carolina beat Cornell Sunday, running off very, very limited sleep. All right. So th- these are these are Jermaine's numbers for the season, and let me say, just conference play, just conference. Play. Okay, since just conference. He, since so, he started so he getting regular starter. minutes, so seventeen yeah. games as a starter, is that correct? Rough. He started the. These Tennessee are all game? eighteen conference games compared to. Okay, let's Although play. He didn't play in the Florida game, right. which is the only reason but, I make that yeah, distinction. It's but, just conference games, and then we're going to compare him to another. Okay, now I would say Jermaine had a very good freshman season, but tailed off toward the end in a way that was. A little bit disappointing, but not unpredictable because right. we've talked a lot on this podcast about the freshman wall. So hit me with your statistical comparison. Let's play a game. We're right. going to guess. All right. Jermaine or Sundarius? <laughs> oh, sweet. I love this. Who had the higher offensive rating this year in SEC games? In their freshman year? Sundarius uh, had a good freshman year. I'm going to go Sundarius. Jermaine Kusnard. Okay. By how much? 2.6. Hmm. He had a 98.7 offensive rating. Sundarius 96.1. Uh, percent, of pos- percent of possessions used usage rate. I'm definitely going to go Jermaine there. Sundarius. Oh, no. I'm bad, at, bad this at this already. <laughs> percent of shots. Wait, wait. What was each of their usage rates? Uh, Sin, had a th- Sin was at 30. Jermaine, 27.4. Wow, that's 30% of his possessions freshman year? That's yeah. wild. That team was bad. Yeah. Forget to, they, yeah. They need, they re- oh, man, though. That's a lot. Percent of shots taken or shots involved in. Wow. <sighs> I'll give the edge of Sundarius then there. You are correct. Okay, there we go. Effective field goal percentage? I'll still say Sundarius. Jermaine. Jermaine, really? Even with some inefficient games in the last couple of weeks. True shooting percentage? True shooting percentage, definitely Jermaine, because he probably takes more threes than Sundarius did freshman year. By, zero, by .1 Sindarius. No. 50.2, Jermaine's at 50.1. How many, well, now I'm maybe asking for stats he didn't write down. How many threes did Sindarius take freshman year compared to Jermaine? I feel like Jermaine's taking a lot more, and those take? are higher percentage shots. Yeah, I'll find that out. Because that's, a, I mean, that's a for those of you that don't know what true shooting percentage is. I think we mentioned it maybe even just last podcast. It takes into consideration the value of your shots. That's effective field goal percentage. Oh wait, what are you talking about? True shooting percentage. It lumps in free throws. Uh, Every shot you take. Okay, all right. I wasn't okay. Jermaine Perfect. Jermaine took one hundred and twenty four threes this year. He took eighty seven in conference play. Okay. 87 in conference play, and Sindarius, his freshman year, took 81 in conference play. Hmm. So the numbers are a little closer than I thought. Yeah. Also, I apologize for misleading all of our listeners. I thought you were talking about effective field goal percentage. I Actually, I don't even know if I knew there was a difference between true and effective. Yeah, you're welcome. So Sindarius, 0.1% better, better than Jermaine. true shooter, yes. Okay. Um, offensive rebound rate. Sindarius. Yes. Defensive rebound rate. Jermaine? No, Sedarius. Easy. Assist rate? Definitely Jermaine. No. Sedarius had a 30.6 assist rate, and Jermaine had a 24. Man. Turnover rate? Jermaine. 
By a lot. By a lot. Uh-oh. Sundarius had a 25%. So on the quarter of the possessions he touched the ball, he turned it over. All right, that's not good. Jermaine was a 17.1, which is still pretty high. Steal rate. Oh, wait, wait. Sundarius is 25%. Oh. Which is higher. Yeah, so yeah, Jermaine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, better. Huh. Jermaine 17.1. Steal rate. Steal rate, Sundarius? By 0.3. Yeah. 2.1 to 1.8. Fouls committed per 40. Jermaine. Sundarius. Committed 3.7. Jermaine commits 4.3. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking Jermaine's was higher. Yeah, Jermaine is higher. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Sundarius was better. Got it. Yes. Fouls drawn per 40. Now, this one's come up a couple times throughout the course of the podcast, yeah. and I know it's been close. So, at the conclusion of the regular season for Jermaine, I will say he's like... What a percent lower than Sundarius? He is half a percent higher, six or half a foul higher, six point one fouls drawn per forty, and Sim was at five point six. Hmm. Uh, free throw rate. Free throw rate. How often you get to the line compared y- to when you shoot? Yeah, I would say. Oh gosh. Well, I'm sitting here staring at this Vanderbilt box score with zero free throw attempts compared to fifteen field goal attempts, but I feel like Jermaine has had a lot of games where he shot. Like nine the Ole Miss attempts. Game. Think about the Ole Miss game. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jermaine. That's Sundarius. What? By like. Uh, didn't he shoot like 15 free throws against Ole Miss? Jermaine? Yeah. But he has a 44.2 free throw rate. Sundarius at 45.9. Okay. So it's close. It's very close. All of these have been really close. Yeah. Except for the. Yeah. I hope, I hope you all have noticed that being the charge. Um, free throw percentage. Free throw percentage? Yeah. I hope Sundarius. Yeah. Sundarius. Okay, that's good. Um, Two-point percentage. Two-point percentage. This one's the farthest off. Okay, so Sundarius wins by a significant margin? No, Jermaine. Jermaine, a significantly better two-point shooter than Sundarius? 7% higher. 47 really? to 41. 48 to 41. You're hmm. And then this one should be easy. Three-point percentage. Oh, gosh. We said it should be easy. I don't know, Sundarius? Yeah. Okay. By seven. What, what did Jermaine shoot this year from three? If, in SEC play, about 29%. Okay, so not good. But that took a huge hit, obviously. When you go one of seven. Yeah. All right, so who was worse, South Carolina in the second half or me at guessing those? South Carolina in the second half. Yeah, still. but not by much. You never sent me to the free throw line. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's remarkably similar. Most of those, what, like a percentage point difference? Yeah, or, I mean, these less? are all compared, like, these are all marginally different. He had a, an incredibly similar year to Sindarius Thornwell. So Sindarius was, quick recap, Sindarius w- was better than Jermaine Cousinard in which categories his freshman year? So I'll, I'll start with Jermaine. Jermaine was more efficient, had a better offensive rating, uh, better took better shots and made better shots, had a lower turnover rate, Drew more fouls per, drew more fouls per forty minutes, and shot better from two. Sindarius had was used more, took more shots, which is probably what impacted his mm-hmm. offensive rating. Um, their true shooting percentages are so close that it we'll just chalk that up as a tie. He rebounded the ball better. He had more assists, uh, committed fewer fouls, and shot better from the free throw line from three. But all of those are almost comparable. 
So the biggest thing for Jermaine to work on year one to year two, his usage is going to go up. What was the discrepancy in their usage rates? Three um, percent, you said thirty and twenty-seven. Roughly two and a half. Okay. So Jermaine's usage rate, we, I think, probably projects to go up a little bit. Although twenty-seven is already pretty high. Although uh, you could move him off the ball if you need to. With seventh coming in. With seventh coming. Yeah. In. So you got to get better at three-point shooting. You have to be a more consistent free throw shooter. But he's already shooting two as well. His turnover rate is already lower. His assist to turnover rate, which I, I know you didn't exactly calculate, but that was good the, for him. Having the, a 10 assist to zero turnover game certainly helps that ratio. Yeah, the margin on assist rate and turnover rate for Jermaine is seven. For Sundarius, it was five, hmm. roughly. Okay. Quick math. So he's in a good position. He is comparable to arguably the best player in program history. What what would you say of those things is I, I I've said three point shooting that's where I'm gonna cast my final vote. What would you say is the biggest improvement Jermaine needs to make from freshman year to sophomore year to avoid doing what AJ Lawson did to South Carolina fans this year in terms of getting your hopes up and then tearing their hearts out? Can't turn the ball over, man. Can't turn the ball over. But his I mean, Can't so do you over. just look at pure turnovers? Because I look at even if he has I look at turnover rate. if he has three turnovers in a game, but he has six or seven assists. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Because when you when you have the ball that much and you're distributing that much, you're going to turn the ball over. So I, I like LeBron will have games where he's like 28, nine and nine and he'll have four assists, but it's like, yeah, he touched the ball every single possession. You're going to have some turnovers. So some of that you build into yeah, you gotta, the offense. You got to commit less fouls too. Mm. I mean, when you commit almost four fouls per 40, it's probably not going to end well for you because more than likely you're playing 30 minutes per game, which means you're getting to three or four fouls. Right. So, what was Jermaine's? Actually, I'll look right here because I probably have it. Um, I'm just curious now what Jermaine, unless you already have it, Jermaine's minutes per game in SEC play. Jermaine's minutes per game mm-hmm. in SEC play. I don't have it in SEC play, but for the season, he's playing 26 minutes a game. I'm sure that went up in SEC play just because he was obviously starting. He played 29.2 okay. minutes per so game, so right at about 30 minutes a game. That that'll probably go up four minutes next year. Roughly. You'll probably get into the 32, 33 range. 12, 3, and 3. 40% shooting. Those are his complete 2019-2020 stats. Also, side note, do you know who leads in conference games, in SEC games per 40 minutes, scoring? Scoring per 40 minutes? In SEC games? I have no idea. Mike Green. (laughs) Of course. By six points. Oh, yeah. He's got, what, two threes in SEC play? Yeah. That's a fun stat. I remember there was a year uh, when, uh, what's the, what was the guy's name from North Carolina? Tyler Hansborough. The Hornets had him for like a year or two, and he would only come in and play garbage time minutes, but he threw like half of, this was like three years ago maybe, and at, at the All-Star break, he had the highest PER in the league by like a ton. Obviously didn't qualify in terms of minutes. He played like you know 20 minutes, and his PER was yeah. like the greatest ever. So I love stats like that. Yeah. Mike, uh, Mike Green is... Has the best offensive rating on the team per 40 minutes, per 100 possessions. Has the uh, fourth highest defense or fourth highest offense defensive rating. Um, so pretty much he makes effective use of minutes and blowouts. Sounds like it. Good job, Mike. This is your second or third shout out on this podcast, I guess. Shut and up. all of them have been positive, except. Maybe that first three that he made when he went glass probably gave him a little bit of grief for that, but that's okay. Also, so, there's only one player with a negative win share in South Carolina. Oh, can I guess who it is? 
Oh, you're making a face, which makes you think I'm already right. It's TJ Boss. <laughs> oh, no. Negative oh, point one. That's that's tough. Tough beat for. Mm. Oh, tough beat for TJ. All right. Well, let me ask you about another blank J. Yeah. If Jermaine is the face of the team going forward, junior AJ Lawson with pro aspirations, who had the chance to just make this team his this year, and pretty much pissed that away. Is he more comfortable? Again, this is a scenario yes. where he's coming back. Yes. I, I think I think it would be an absolute tragedy and an incredibly foolish decision for him to leave right now, really for any situation, unless he maybe wants to go play pro in Europe. Like Maybe there's an opportunity for additional development there, but I think it, if he leaves, it would be a terrible idea. So let's assume he's coming back. I think this would be a better basketball situation for him because he's not a primary ball handler. And they're not going to lump all the leadership on him to start the year, which right. was a problem. But is that going to is that going to bother him? Does he is no. he someone that that thinks and wants to be the guy? Thinks he is the guy and wants to be the guy and needs to be the guy? Being the guy and being the leader, I think, are two different things. That I think mm-hmm. that the pressure of being the leader and being the guy got to him, and he struggled because of it. Uh, if he's if Jermaine's the leader, he's going to get good looks. He's going to have open shots and then it's just about knocking him down. And so this, that's if he comes back. So this backcourt could work. AJ Lawson and Jermaine Cousinard with Trey oh, Hannah and Woods coming off the bench. Yeah, 100%. Could work. What is your predicted starting lineup for the first game of the 2020-2021 season assuming all health? All health? Are we assuming AJ Lawson comes back? Yeah, let's assume he comes back in this scenario. <clears throat> Alright, um... Jermaine, mm-hmm. AJ, mm-hmm. Keyshawn, mm-hmm. Justin, mm-hmm. Wildens. Wildens. So then you have a bench mob of Trey Hannibal, Seventh Woods, Seventh Woods Alonzo Frank, Jalen McCreary, Javon Benson, and yeah, Patrick Curio. One of the new guys. Yeah. Seventh Woods or Seventh Woods, Alonzo Frank, or Trey Hannibal? Who's your sixth man? Seven. Or Jair Bolden. Gosh. So you have, yes, you have Seventh Woods, Trey Hannibal, Jair Bolden, Alonzo Frank, and Jalen McCreary. Or probably Jalen McCreary, Alonzo Frank, in that order. Who plays the three there? Can se- seventh can't play. Can Seventh play the three? Carolina's got a lot of guards. Yeah. If AJ comes back. Jermaine, AJ, Seventh, Trey, and Jair, all those guys deserve minutes. Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to play Seventh, you take out AJ... You slide Manaya down, take out Keyshawn. There's some different. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. I, hmm. You could play him if you want to go small. They played Jair at the three a little bit, um, AJ at the three a little bit. So yeah, AJ at the three makes a lot more sense than Jair, and probably yeah. even seventh. I'm just trying to figure out how these guys fit. But you think that we're not paid to do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Jermaine and AJ next to each other. If AJ comes back, now if AJ doesn't come back, obviously, obviously that's that's seventh. You put seventh in it, point guard, Jermaine to two. Ooh, well, but what does Jermaine at the two do? They've, I like Jermaine at point. They've done it a lot when they like put him in with Trey Hannibal. Frank loves to have multiple point guards on the floor at all times. Yeah. So so that different guys bring up the different bring up the ball and can set the offense and I just would hate for Jermaine to have the kind of freshman year that he had that you just detailed as similar to Sendarius Thornwell and then Sindarius to see played, his usage rate drop. But Sendarius did not play point the rest of his career. A lot. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look it up. So, 
But and Jermaine, two. Jermaine is a more natural point, obviously, than Sandarius. Like Jermaine is yeah. a point guard. Sandarius is always kind of a two-three so, swing. Yeah, Sandarius never played a lot of point his freshman year, which makes his usage rate even more insane. Yeah, uh, he played a lot of three his freshman year. His sophomore year, where he was banged up, played three. Uh, junior year, played primarily point guard. Eighty-eight percent of the point guard minutes over the last five games. Really. Cinderius Thornwell. Huh. Um, and then his senior year, obviously. Cinderius uh, was your three. Who do you, and four a little bit too. Um, who do you think over the last five games? So the tournament. So the tournament. Oh, the, oh you're talking about the tournament, the final four year? Yeah. Yeah. Ken Palm does the depth chart over the last five games. Mm hmm. Uh, who do you think played the most minutes, percent of minutes at point guard? Percent of minutes at point guard. I'm trying to. Rothfeld. Was it really? 46% and then PJ played 45. Rothfelder played the majority of the point guard minutes. And then, but they're most. Coming fre- off the bench. Yeah, but their most frequent lineup. Was your starting your Dozier, Notice, Thornwall? So. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You were you were asking, so I figured it wasn't PJ. So I was trying to decide if it was. I wasn't going to guess Rob. I was trying to decide. I was like, did Dwayne ever play point? Like, were there ever? No, he was always your two. I, 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 I then, figured he was, but and Rob Felder. I can't believe it was Rob. The next most frequent lineup, uh, Rob Felder was your starting point guard, and PJ Dozier was your four. <laughs> wow, a lot of defensive versatility there. And PJ still playing well for the Nuggets. Yeah, good job, PJ. Go PJ. It was. I don't, I don't know, because, I mean, it's worked out for him, so I don't want to say it wasn't a good decision for him to leave early, but he, I always, still feel like he really could have benefited from that extra year. I'm I, always I hope about, AJ stays. I'm always about people making their money. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's worked out for him. I don't know if it would work out the same way for AJ, because AJ didn't even have the same kind of year that PJ did by a long shot. Yeah. I don't know. That will be the well, biggest still off-season. Still to be determined with him. Yeah, yeah. Still, still very still much to be, be determined. determined. Off-season to come. I have no idea when we'll know. I mean, frankly, the season's not even over yet. So no. this was kind of a fun sneak peek. We'll have a lot more of this, obviously, throughout the course of the real off season. Before we get out of here, you want to run through the SEC tournament bracket? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Sure. All right. Not great, but sure. <laughs> Georgia Ole Miss. Anthony are we going to predict? Are we going to predict games now? Yeah. Oh, let's do it. Let's just, yeah, we're just going to run through. All right, Georgia Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Really? Yeah. Anthony Edwards. I really making like, a push for the draft. I really like Bree and Tyree. Yeah, he's awesome, but he's not Anthony Edwards. He's not about to be the number one pick in the draft. I really that's like going to be like the most fun, meaningless game on TV. In yeah, a while. it's just going to be two teams just like trading drives and body blows. It's right. awesome. And Anthony Edwards trying to say, "Hey, I'm the number one overall pick," and Brian Tyree trying to say, "Hey, give me a chance." Yeah, I'm still, I, take, I'm still not, taking Ole Miss. There. That sounds like a dig. I I'm mean, still taking Ole Miss there. Okay. All right. Well, I'll take Georgia. Okay. So we'll go down to Vanderbilt, Hold on, Arkansas. Are we, can we keep track here? Yeah, sure. You want to write it down? Yeah. Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Vanderbilt has home court, which is so not fair. And if Vanderbilt ever gets good at basketball again, this is going to be a real issue. <laughs> yeah. But so far, nobody cares because they nope. don't. Does that matter? Does Vanderbilt upset Arkansas? No. No? Ar- Arkansas? I'm taking Arkansas. I'll go Arkansas as well. So we'll go back up to the top. Alabama versus the Tennessee Volunteers. Give me Alabama. I like Tennessee. I don't like how Alabama has ended the season. I feel like... They're in the same situation as South Carolina where despite a very middling record, their net ranking and things like that said that they were 
a pretty good chance to make the tournament. I feel like they need to win a couple games now or maybe win the tournament. I don't know exactly because like 16 and 13, like that is a stupid record for a team that could legitimately be in the conversation. Correct. Obviously the net ranking is amazing. I feel like stupid. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of, yeah, uh, like a little bit of resolution setting in and Tennessee has played well to end the season. So give me Tennessee. Okay. Next up, you have Georgia or excuse me. You have Ole Miss in Florida. I have Georgia in Florida. Ole Miss. No. That's your team making the run? All right. Uh, I'm going to go Florida over Georgia. I haven't been sold on Florida all year. Okay. All righty. Next up, Missouri and Tamu. 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 It's weird that they're good. Yeah, Buzz Williams, good coach. Carolina beat them by a combined 50 points in two games, roughly. They match up well. They match up really well with that kind of buzz because they play very similar styles. South Carolina, Arkansas. Arkansas? Give me South Carolina in this one. I thought you were picking Arkansas for sure. Oh, I wrestled with it. I made a fart noise with my mouth. That's how hard I was wrestling I think the mic picked it up a little bit. I'm going to make sure to leave that in there. Yeah, definitely got that one. Okay, good. Um, That was my struggle. That was my Tony Romo sound. I'll pick Carolina. I'll pick Carolina. They beat because Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones both played in Fayetteville. They're playing Arkansas's playing better now, but this team's showing a lot of fight at a lot of points in the season. Just because I, they didn't yeah. against Vanderbilt doesn't mean they're all out. I think they're playing Friday. Yeah, that seems right. And Don't, you know, it wouldn't be Carolina if they didn't give their fans just enough hope. You know, like, being oh, a, can, yeah. a good Arkansas team and then having hearts broken. Yeah, back up to the top. You have Alabama against Kentucky. I have Tennessee against Kentucky. I'll go Kentucky. In this I'm one. gonna pick Kentucky. Yeah. And next up, we have. Well, you have Ole Miss in Mississippi State. Mississippi Egg State. Bowl Part Three. And I have Florida in Mississippi State. Mississippi State. Yeah, I'm also gonna pick Mississippi State. I don't. I don't like Florida all that much. We, I don't like Florida either. And we actually went. My apartment. We're huge college basketball fans, and so we literally went around the table last night and picked. We each got four teams that are currently in the tournament, according to Lenardi, and one bubble team that we're allowed to hop on the bandwagon for. Mm-hmm. And Mississippi State was mine. That was yours? Team. I really like what I've seen from them this year. They're good. They're good. I think my other ones were Michigan State. Always East, a good pick. East Tennessee State. Nice. They just won. Um, UCLA and Villanova were the teams that I was like, you know what, I'm going to hop on these bandwagons. Good for you. Bandwagon hopping. Not that I know everyone really cared. Oh, what, what team's Colin really really feeling? The no, that, people probably wanted to know because as soon as Carolina's out of it, people are going to be like, well, who do I pull for? Now they can just side with you. I haven't done that. I haven't thought that much about it. So I'll just I'll just adopt your teams and, you. and everyone listening. These are these are Colin's teams, and everyone that listens to the podcast is a part of it. Next up, we both have Texas A&M against Auburn. Auburn. I'm going to pick Auburn. But you wrestled I, with it. I I've really it. thought about A&M. I, I wonder if it. that could be a tough matchup for Auburn. It is. If A&M could just pound it them is. inside, get 20 offensive rebounds and 32 second chance points and keep this thing close. Yeah. But I just, I, I like I like Bruce Pearl in a tournament. I do too. So give me Auburn. So we had a couple different picks to start, but it looks like we're all going chalk here because I'm picking LSU over South what? Carolina. No. Aww. No, I'm picking LSU too. Yeah. All right, so we have, oh, look at that. We have the top four seeds. <laughs> How unoriginal. Yeah. It looked like we were actually going to go somewhere. All right, Kentucky, Mississippi State. Mississippi State. You're picking Mississippi I'll, I'll, I'll do Kentucky. And then Auburn, LSU. I'm going to take Auburn. I'll take LSU. Yeah. Well, you'll take Kentucky. 
then I'll take um, LSU. So we have different no. championship games, at least. You're taking Auburn, right? Yeah. I have Kentucky and Auburn, and you have Mississippi State and LSU. I feel like such an idiot for picking the one and two seed in the championship game, but I guess that's why they're the one and two seeds, right? Yeah. Maybe I should have picked a No, no, no. It's all right. Whatever. Whatever. This is a likely outcome. I I, I think I think Kentucky's going to win it all. And you think Mississippi State's going to win it all? I think LSU wins it all. You, for the potential benefit of South Carolina, you should pick Mississippi State. I guess it wouldn't matter. No. But they're, well, actually, they could matter. Well, no. Because they wouldn't be, that, that's one of the bubble teams out of the way. If they get the automatic qualifier. Yeah, but if Mississippi State gets to Sunday, they're getting in the tournament. No, 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 but I'm saying if they get the automatic qualifier, like Kentucky's going to be in anyway, Auburn's going to be in anyway, LSU's going to be in anyway. Mississippi State is a bubble team that is theoretically ahead of South I'm Carolina. I'm just picking who I think is going to win. I don't yeah, care okay. about bubble. Okay. I if you're LSU. a Carolina fan, maybe you, you want Mississippi State to go ahead and win the whole darn thing. I'm going to go Kentucky. Not a very interesting pick. They're really good, though. Well, Kentucky. <sighs> no, Hagens has been out. That's why I can't see him getting past Mississippi State. Okay. Well, there we go. That's our SEC tournament predictions. It is. Uh, it's Tuesday. South Carolina is making the way to Nashville today. Yeah. Wait, I thought they stayed there. No. Okay. They flew back. Then they f- they'll go out today and practice uh, there on Wednesday. Um, media is allowed in. Public is. So not. you're going back. Good. Yeah. I'll Did be there. you make it to Bolton's this past weekend? It was closed. Ah. I went. Tw- uh, we went, tried two different Bolton's locations. The two in Nashville. Uh huh. And both were closed because one was on the east side of Nashville where the tornado hit. Okay, they just closed yeah, that both. Makes sense. Um, we so did that, go. That we did go to the Stillery. Okay, which is cool. a phenomenal place right off Broadway. Uh, I got hot chicken mac and cheese. Mm, how was it? Oh my god! Did it hurt? It, it like the the only part that hurt. You eat it, and then you have to go out. Mm. And so you're like struggling. Yep. To do any kind of thing. It was as brutal as brutal could get. In ter- like, the first two beers were just like, I mean, you're struggling to get through them because you're like, all that chicken is settling, and yeah, it was bad. Mm, that sounds like a like a delicious but unfortunate for it later kind of cocktail. It was a painfully delicious meal. Yeah. That's the beauty of hot chicken. I love it. So you're going back, you going Wednesday or Thursday? Yeah, I go Wednesday, and we'll be Wednesday. there for practice and availability and all that. All right. Well, then, I guess that'll do it. For us here, we hit on a lot of things today. A real real variety podcast. Yeah. We'll Grab be back. Bag. Maybe we'll try to do something on the phone later in the week, depending on what your schedule is. Yeah. Well, they play the late game, so thankfully we got plenty of time. Right. That's true. So we'll be back. Rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Read everything that Colin has up on GamecockCentral.com. Please. Follow him on Twitter. Yeah, you're doing everything baseball, everything basketball. I don't know how you keep it all straight in your head. I certainly cannot. I don't. Okay, good. So if you see that... <laughs> If you see that Noah Campbell went three of five from three, <laughs> then the, you'll understand what's our, going through our, our life thread for baseball on whatever day that was. Sunday? Sunday. I started and had to backspace it. Hello and welcome to Colonial Life Arena. Oh, no. So it was, yeah. Do you say welcome to Founders Park or welcome to the Ray? Founders Park. Okay. That's cool. Jay Phillips calls it the Ray. I like that. Which I like. Yeah. I like that. It's, it's got a good ring to it. So anyway, we'll be back at some point to talk about whatever happens in the SEC tournament to compare our brackets and to talk about South Carolina's either end of the season or continued improbable run. But regardless, for all things South Carolina and now SEC basketball, 
right here on the Hard Foul. Rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Boom. Or later this week.